You are listening to Concrete Conversations, an informative podcast brought to you by the Concrete Masonry Association of Australia. We represent the concrete masonry and segmental paving manufacturers in Australia. Our podcast will discuss technical information and case studies with some special guests from our industry. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of the Concrete Masonry Association of Australia. On today's Concrete Conversations, it is my great pleasure to welcome Darren Kay from Topology Studio to talk a little bit about concrete masonry with us. Welcome. Thanks, Elizabeth. Great to be here. Firstly, just want to pay respects to the traditional owners of Albert Park, the Boon people, on which we're sitting at the moment. Thank you for that acknowledgement. Darren, just before we get started and talking about masonry and bricks, how did you sort of, what was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? Look, it was very suburban, my childhood. It was out about 40 minutes drive south of CBD Adelaide in South Australia. And I lived in effectively what was a housing development at the time in the 60s, I guess, when I think when it was built, my mum and dad were looking out over vines because it was sort of down the McLaren Vale way. And the house was a double brick, probably not insulated walls. Later in the ceiling, we had some insulation added, but it was tile roof, cream brick, yes. double brick, wrong orientation. But it was big suburban backyard, and that's where we grew up. It was actually a really great spot, like beautiful beaches by wineries, and but very suburban. Yeah. Yeah. And when did you sort of figure out that architecture would be your chosen career? Yeah, I think it just evolved over time. And really, probably when I went into university, I still didn't fully know what architecture was or what they actually did in detail. But I think I was always quite sensitive to space. And I remember always thinking about our house and how it was orientated the wrong way and how it felt at certain times of the year and how it was cold. And if you turned it around and caught the sun, it could be a lot warmer. And I remember having quite early thoughts about that as a child. So I guess it was probably a sensitivity to space and your environment, leading on to enjoying art at school and science as well. And it seemed like a logical sort of progression into something that had a foot in both camps. And during that time, did you have any sort of influences or did you, you know, just in terms of that decision, I guess, to do architecture at university? I was very naive Mm -hmm. at the time and you know, coming from that suburban background, I wasn't very exposed to any architecture other than these cream brick houses that surrounded me. And I hadn't travelled overseas. I was very green. And I remember first project at university, we had to do a 1 to 25 scale model of a house that inspired us. And I partnered up with someone who lived nearby me who also had quite a suburban upbringing. And I remember us producing this model of a Navy Jennings spec home to absolute detail. And we came in and presented it and everyone else had picked like an architectural icon, you know, house by Glenn Merkus or, you know, kind of Frank Lloyd Wright. And we'd picked this suburban house and we got actually 100% for the project because it was such an accurate representation (laughs) of this house. But I guess it showed at the time what our experience was and it was limited. So, where did you uh, go to university? University of Adelaide. Right. And so then you finish university. Yes. And you mentioned before that you were a little bit naive. By the end of university, you had everything 
being clarified for you? A lot, a lot of <laughs> questioning. So obviously it throws up a lot of information at you that makes you question your environment mm-hmm. and why things are done a certain way. And in hindsight, I think it was actually quite good to have upbringing to see what the bulk of Australia, a lot of people in Australia, where they live and what the positive things are about that experience Mm -hmm. and and the negative as well. Mm -hmm. So I also travelled through university as well and after, and I actually found that to be the most liberating experience of connecting the dots with things that you've learned and going and seeing architecture firsthand, I think. And whereabouts were you travelling? Travelled, so I did. I sort of backpacked through Europe for about five months. And then with my partner at the time, now wife with two kids, Amy, we lived in London for five years. We backpacked through India for five months as well and saw some incredible architecture there. Yeah, all through Europe, really. Wow. So you did that at university and then you finished university and then what happened? Finished university and then had a job working for Susan Scrimgore up in Adelaide Hills who did little house extensions and she took me under her wing. I helped her draw reflective ceiling plans and toilet layouts. And But it was really great sitting next to her one-on-one having that attention yes. to detail, you know, I guess attention to, to the process and how she was doing it. Yeah. And she would take me along to meetings and, and that'd be really simple kind of little extensions but you would just get a real insight into the process and and how she did it and she was very open with with teaching me as well yeah and then moved on to a slightly bigger practice in South Australia and worked on Surf Life Saving Club as part of a team and then on to Phillips Pilkington who are quite a well-known practice in South Australia who do really great work and then overseas to London for five years. And so what sort of prompted that decision? Or was it something that you always wanted to do? I think it was something that, and at the time it was Amy and I who went over together. And I think we always talked about doing that and just wanting that experience to give us the ability to look back onto Australia and you know, immerse yourself in another culture mm-hmm. so you can see your culture much more clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think... That really worked. And did you have something lined up before you left or did you get to London and then? We actually didn't. We actually arrived with a backpack and in a black taxi and then just started door knocking for work, which was a bit, yeah, brave, I guess. what time is this? 2003, that kind of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember us being in the library in London, printing out our CVs and finishing some of the final touches on CVs and then literally just on the tube between practices, door knocking. Yeah. Yeah. And the response was quite positive. I I didn't know how it would go, but I think they, I mean, if they were looking, they loved it because they would whip you into the meeting room and have an interview and there and then and and then give you a job if if they had one. But I remember we ended up getting a job together in the same practice Mm -hmm. and we ended up being interviewed at the same time and it was just a random door knock he brought us in and he said i'm looking for one person but i'm going to interview you both at the same time and then i'll take the best one (laughs) 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 which was slightly bizarre but we had the interview confronting and then at the end of it he decided to take both of us which was great and then we realized that sitting next to him was Shigeru Ban, a very famous Japanese architect. And we weren't that familiar with him at the time, but he was working on the new Pompidou 
in METS, yes. the competition, and he was doing it with Philip, who employed us, and they yeah. were doing the final touches on the model and the design. And our first job was to drive the model of the Pompidou across to METS and deliver it in a box and <laughs> because they didn't want to trust no. courier companies. Yeah. So she group band ended up winning it yeah. and then going on to... To having it built, so yeah. wow. Yeah. And so, what was this firm in London that you were? So it was Gamushin Architects, Philip yes. Gamushin, who used to work for Richard Rogers and was a partner there, yes. and then went out on his own and managed to get a really great school project, which had a basement. It was in a site that was an old graveyard, and because space is so tight in London, they got to kind of find these opportunities. And apparently this is quite common with churches that they will dig up the bodies and then put them and turn them into crypts and things. Uh-huh. And then you can use the old graveyards. So Darren, I learn something new every day. This is yeah, and the school I think they had owned or they bought this land, I think they owned it and they turned it into a school below wow. subterranean school gymnasium and then basketball court above because they had no room for their school. And then all the bodies got taken out the ground and, well, repositioned. <laughs> yes. And so were you with that firm the entire time for five years? We were, no, we were there for about a year and yes. then Amy and I decided we got jobs separately in other places. What did you notice, I guess, coming from South Australia? What sort of impacted you in terms of the difference in the cultures and architectural design? I guess there's a lot. I guess you've got Europe on your doorstep there. So there was a, a lot of immediate referencing and being inspired by what was happening in Europe as well. And then mm-hmm. I think within the UK at the time, the first thing we noticed was how bad their regulations were with insulating buildings and thermal control on buildings. Mm-hmm. And then they signed agreements with the EU, which had meant they had to kind of bring their legislations up to the same standard. So suddenly yeah. they, within the five years we were there, they became quite progressive with okay. how well insulated their buildings were and green. And we learned a lot about detailing, thermal detailing, cold bridging, very different to here. And then when we came back to Australia, you realise how far behind we are here. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating when we well, haven't been for years now, but like the masonry conferences, Europe really concentrates on insulation and masonry. Yeah. The US concentrates on retrofitting in terms of stability and foundations. Yeah. Because most of their buildings haven't been, I guess, built structurally so that they're sound. And most of those buildings are public buildings, like fire stations or hospitals. Yeah. So always the big topic is retrofitting mm. those. And, yeah, so it is fascinating. And then and I guess for us, we do look at, at thermal mass, but not in relation to insulation as well. It's obviously prolific over there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of, they'll do a lot of rain screens where they'll get a continuous insulation around the whole building and then they'll sort of build a rain screen in front of that. Yes. And I think the passive house movement in Australia is sort of picking up as well mm-hmm. a little bit. And I mean, I'd be really interested in how to do a passive house in masonry because I think that's an untapped market mm-hmm. and it's all in the detailing and that would be quite interesting yeah, I think passive house design theoretically is aspirational in the sense that everyone would want that, but not everyone gets a choice of the sort of, I guess, aspect of where that home's going to be and which way it faces, you yes. know, particularly on blocks. Yes. So I think that's right. sort of one of the fundamental 
challenges, you know, when people want to do that. But I know yeah. there's a lot of architects now that are really designing, you know, in masonry so that they don't have to include things like air conditioning. And, and of course, that's the greatest sort of debate, really, when it comes to carbon emissions. If you've got a house that is built from material that doesn't have a lot of those emissions, but then you put sort of air conditioning and everything into it, it defeats really the whole purpose of Yes. Of the first part. <laughs> yes. And I think the longevity of masonry is what's very attractive to it and just the weight and the feeling of it, it it's what we love about it. Mm. So I think some of the thermal detailing, I think that's something we really want to dig down into and try to solve mm. in these buildings because we want that to be right as well. Mm. Yeah. So you've spent the five years in the UK and then you come back to Australia? Uh, five years in the UK, then we backpacked around India for four or five months and then came back to Adelaide, then came to Melbourne to find work. Okay. Yeah. Where did that lead? I ended up at Woodmarsh mm-hmm. Architecture. Amy ended up at Peter Elliott and I was at Woodmarsh for 10 years. Amy was close to 10 at Peter Elliott before starting so topology. topology. Yeah. Yeah. And was there any impetus around that or...? I mean, we always wanted to do it. We did talk a lot about it when we travelled and discussed what your business name was going to be and what kind of work you're going to do. You'd always think ahead, yes. sort of slightly aspirationally. And then probably took longer than we would have liked. And we started just getting some small private work that you do at night, like I guess every architect does. This is a common theme. Discussion. Common yeah. theme. <laughs> you spend your nights doing that and then get up in the morning and go to work. And then I think was when we had our first child that Amy was at home more and then we started working on our house as well and also the house at Tago Bay. We would do that during the day when you know the baby was asleep or at nights we'd do it and weekends. So we did there was a period there where we were just working continuously, sort of two jobs straddling with a young child to sort of get something built to then start a practice. Do you um, look back and just go, what were we doing and how did we do that? I don't know. I look back and think we had, it was great that we had the energy to do it. Like, you know, I, mean, I probably should have done it a bit younger, but mm. I guess also we're a new practice relatively, but we've got 20 odd years experience behind us. And our feeling is we like to move into slightly bigger work as well. And with that experience behind us, we can hopefully use that to get up some larger scale work. So you did mention it, and we've done a case study on the house at Otago Bay, and it's just a, such a beautiful interpretation. And it was obviously the winner of the Kevin Borman Masonry Award. Yeah. And there's so many reasons we love it. But could you just talk, tell us a little bit how it came about? Because it actually took quite a while to construct. And... It was a long process. <laughs> yeah. And so it was a family connection my cousin who i hadn't seen a long time he's from broken hill and he remarried mel and she's tasmanian met her down there when we came back from traveling and being overseas we went down and saw them and they had a new house that they just built and they just been through a process but they just weren't happy with it it did things like cut off the view it didn't perform very well thermally it was lightweight and didn't kind of sit on the landscape very well and they were confused because they thought they were entering into a process where they were going to get a really amazing building at the end of it and they were quite disappointed with it so they asked our advice on it what would we do differently we spent about a year various times going down there and driving around looking at architecture with Mm -hmm. 
to in Tasmania, in Tasmania to yeah. help them understand the difference between an architecturally considered project versus something that wasn't. Yeah. And then they finally bought a block that had already been subdivided into three. They lived in the house that was existing there and then commissioned us to start the design process of House of Otago Bay on one of the blocks there. So then from that point, it was probably slow because we had limited time and young child, but it evolved and they were very happy with the process and the project. It was tricky getting a builder to do it. Went through a tender process, then negotiated with Cave Constructions down there who did an amazing job with all the details and the resolution of the house. Probably struggled a little bit with the contract and the cash flow and ended up taking about two years to build. But the result was great yes. at the end of the day. And then, so it was obviously a predominantly concrete brick house. Why, yep. why masonry? So we looked for, for a material. It was a tricky side because it was steep down to the Derwent on one side and then it was a steep site down to the wetlands on the other side so it sloped in two directions and there was an existing house next to it which sat quite high perched on the hill so we really wanted to embed this project into mm-hmm. the ground and give it a, a weight and solidity that felt like it belonged in the landscape we didn't want it to hover above we wanted to to really ground itself there and we wanted tonally for the material to feel like it sort of grew out of the ground mm. and that you could immerse yourself in that material when you went inside as well. So something that worked inside and out. And the block work selection was an obvious one because it gave us control about colour, texture, the module of the block, gave us versatility on being able to do the curved geometries that we wanted in the house. But one of the main wing walls runs along the natural contour line then opens itself up to the view as does the roof sort of lifts itself up at the same time and block work also enables you to dig into the ground and retain and waterproof and tank so it just grew out of the practicalities and also the intent of what we wanted to achieve aesthetically with the house so it ticked all those boxes then there was a struggle with the color which we've talked about before mm-hmm. it? but the um as so we picked a Adbri block from Victoria and the colour was perfect and we based our whole colour scheme around it <laughs> and then when it was being constructed we did a sample wall the builder went and sourced that block and then built a sample it was completely different colour to the one that we'd seen and it was about probably three or four years ago that we'd seen that we got this sample yeah. and then realising that the mix in Tasmania is different to the mix in Victoria but Adbri were amazing working through the detail of that and working with us to achieve what we wanted and they ended up sourcing the Victorian mix and got that sent down to the Tasmanian plant. Mm. Then they used their quartz aggregate within that block and it was a combination of the two Mm. that ultimately achieved what we wanted and then I think they could adjust the tone slightly in the aggregate mix Mm. as well. And then about three, four sample walls later, we achieved it. And then we gave the green light to go, which is a great result. What was the client's response to the design and the material? Look, they loved it from day one. From the very first time we presented the render to them, the image showing what it was going to look like in the landscape, they fell in love with it. 
they understood what we were trying to achieve and the, the real weight of it sitting there, but sitting there like it always been there, like it's some kind of ruin, I guess. I think that's what we felt when we were judging it as well, just really, it felt like it belonged there, but it didn't impact yeah. that, that it had always been there. And it's tricky on those sites that have a steep slope because they can stick out of the ground on one side, but yeah. we've negotiated our way around that with ha-ha wall that created this, that retained but felt like it had been there for a long time and then the ha-ha wall kicks back onto the line as well. So a lot of it was about understanding the contours and going down there and pegging it out and then adjusting things slightly to make sure it did sort of run along these natural lines as much as possible where we could. Now, I remember when you presented five members, we were talking about the ha-ha wall. Can you just explain that? Yeah, so I don't think I did a very good job explaining it last time, but I'll try again. So the ha-ha wall is something that we came across in England and it was to do with these manor houses that they wanted to look out. They had like they wanted to see cattle grazing yes. in the distance, sort of from a you know, sort of slightly romantic notion of being on a on a manor house. But they didn't want to see any fences or anything. So from the house you'd look out and there'd be probably grass or something, and then it would step down, creating the fence that you wouldn't see from the house, and then run out to the paddock. So it would appear visually like there was no wall there, yes. but you would see the animals sort of in the distance. So it was the same thing. We didn't want to interrupt the view, so we stepped down, creating sort of a balustrade, but it didn't interrupt your view out to the water. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Do you feel that... Aesthetically, the design could have been achieved in any other material? We did look at stone and stone could have gone part way to achieving it, but I don't think it was as practical. And I think it didn't, again, was much more expensive, but also because it bedded itself down to the ground, stone doesn't naturally retain like block work does. You can core fill, you can do lots of things with block work. So no, I don't, I really think it was a, masonry building from the start had to be done in block. Have you been back and seen how it has retired over time? We have been back and we've seen it and it just seems to get better and embed itself more into the landscape as they've been very conscious to bring in the native vegetation from the reserve next to them and sort of flow that into their site and the way we've designed the building as well it orientates itself so you're not aware of the neighbouring properties Mm. so you do just feel like you're in this natural landscape looking out over the water and I think that just gets stronger the more the plants establish themselves. So Darren whilst you were constructing the house were there any surprises in a good way that you found about masonry that you hadn't considered? I think I mean to be honest we spent so long agonizing over that house and detailing it and really considering it like it was sort of in some ways it was our, one of our first projects that we were going to do, so we really researched and detailed it very heavily to make sure there were no surprises mm-hmm. when we... Yes. Um, look, I think one of the biggest surprises probably... It's not a surprise, but it's more a you know experience of being in the building. It was as strong as we'd hoped, yes. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the weight, the entry, the double sort of height, volume that we've created, the feeling of that with the weight of the masonry, I think, just tied together really well and sometimes i guess you don't know that until you well you don't get to experience it i yes. mean you're sort of hopeful that yeah. it will create these feelings and that's what it's all about it's creating some drama and 
this experience every day of entering this house and the closed nature of the facade and then the lifting up and expanding out to the view, that was the core concept of the house. Mm. And then to spatially experience that, I think, and that it works with masonry is a joy. Yeah, and it's, it's such a beautiful design, a beautiful house. Do you think that there are some misconceptions around the use of masonry that you've noticed? Well, I guess there's always the, you know, the blockwork toilets that people, I guess, maybe used to associate yes. with it. When used to say, let's do something out of blockwork. But I think there's so many great examples of it now yeah. that you can point to, that, especially with clients. They're very on board, I think, okay. with masonry. What would you say is a benefit to incorporating masonry in your designs? I think there's obviously broadly, not just Otago, it is that flexibility. It's a structural element. It's an element that's going to be there for a long time. It's going to wear well, longevity. You can use it in a multitude of ways with the finishing of the face of it, how you strike the mortar joint, the module of the block or brick that you choose. It's got such versatility that enables you to craft it how you want to and get efficiencies out of your design as well. And I think it's always going to be there as a material that we look to use where we can. In terms of your preference, exterior or interior? Well, we again, it's probably something we like to do is use a material that can flow from external to internal mm -hmm. as a finish, and you might change subtly how you deal with that finish. But we love that continuous flow. Yes. And it becomes a volume that you can experience being surrounded by that material. Not all materials can do that. You can't, you know, like a metal cladding, for instance you don't necessarily want that running into your house. So yeah. there's a definition between inside and out there, whereas we love the flow. Yes, and I think you've achieved it beautifully in this particular house. And I think one of the things I really loved it because it exemplified such a sort of a really heavy material that you made feel very elegant and very light, yes. um, especially against the landscape and the environment that surrounds it. And as yeah. we were saying before, it really always felt like it just was always there or should always have been there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you, and thank you for talking about the Otago House and your journey on Concrete Conversations. No problem. Thanks for having me. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for ideas of what to talk about. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know. 